Amen. In your blue songbook this morning, hymn number 30, page number 30, a good old classic here, Nothing But the Blood. We'll sing the first, second, last verse this morning, hymn number 30 today.
Thanksgiving. If you're thankful for the blood, say amen. amen. Boy, we're glad to see you. Thank you for coming out today. A couple of quick prayer requests I want to give you before Brother Tim Helbert takes us to the throne room in prayer. Pray for Sister Brenda Craig. We've put that out a couple of times. She remains down at Moorhead Hospital. Uh, she's had a tough week this week, so pray for her and the family, Brother Bobby Craig, if you would. Of course, that is uh, Wes and Sherry, uh, uh, mother and um, Cindy, thank you. Cindy's mother, so pray for them, if you would. I pray you, I ask uh, uh, that the Lord would just touch that family. And then also pray for Sister Helen King. You're scheduled to get Sister Ann King. Uh, scheduled to go, she, yeah, sitting right there, uh, scheduled to go Wednesday still for knee replacement surgery. Is that correct? So remember that one in prayer. Uh, and then we had some in our church, Sister Helen King, Brother Daryl Hyatt, both of them lost loved ones in the past week. So pray for those families, if you would. Pray for our services today. We sure want God's presence in our midst. Brother Tim, take us to the throne room. Let's join Brother Helbert in prayer this morning. Brother Tim, pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for today. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to be in your house again. Thank you, God, for the love that you have for measure, God. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for our sins. God, if not for that, we'd have no reason to be here today. Thank you, God, for everything you do for us. I pray that you'll be with each person that's here this morning, Lord. Those that suffer in sickness, those in the hospital, those that are in the time of death. God, you know every need. You don't understand why these things happen, but God, you're under control. You know that will is the correct will, and we pray, God, that is what happens. At you. Thank you, God, for being with us this morning, Lord. Pray that you'll be with us the rest of the service. Brother Greg, as he brings the message, God, just prepare our hearts and help us to forget about the troubles of the world, Lord. Focus on God. Pray, God, that you'll show up and just show out this morning, Lord, and just help us to receive what you have for us. Cast all this in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You can be seated this morning. Pray for the choir this morning. I love this old Caliphate classic. I'm so glad God still saves old sinners. You listen to the choir as we sing.
Amen, choir. Wonderful job. Appreciate that this morning. Let me give you some uh, quick announcements just before our little ones head out tonight, or this morning, rather, for Children's Church and Junior Church. First of all, a note in your bulletin today, all those Christmas dramas, scenes 5, 6, and 7. Uh, at 2.30, no evening services tonight. We'll be practicing throughout the evening, uh, scenes 5, 6, and 7. I appreciate everybody's helping us with this. I know the schedule's been a little bit crazy and cockamamie, and, and uh, you have to know from week to week whether or not we're going to be able to do what we're doing, but I appreciate everybody working with us on that. Then I want to call to your attention a couple of new announcements, uh, uh, new for the bulletin next Sunday morning, November the 26th. Uh, during the morning service, we'll have a shower for James and Carmen uh, at 945. Ladies, if you're a wedding shower, ladies, please bring your favorite breakfast item, and then you see the information in there where they're registered. That'll be in the teen room, right? So keep that in mind if you would, please. Uh, and then on Sunday, December the 10th, a baby shower for Josh and Jesse. That also begins at 945. Same, uh, same bat time, same bat channel, same bat location uh, in the teen room, and that is on Sunday, December the 10th. I'll also remind folks that, uh, or some of the gentlemen, if uh, you are not in our Christmas drama or if you're not in the first couple of scenes and you're able to help uh, monitor our parking lots uh, on those three dates of the drama, 15th, 16th, and 17th, if you'll please see Brother Daryl. Brother Daryl, raise your hand in the back so everybody know who it is. Uh, we could use your help with that. We always have a major, major, major crowd, so please, uh, your help on that is much appreciated. Uh, and then, this is also not in your bulletin. Uh, I made reference last week, and I'm going to say a couple of words before the kids go out again today about what happened down in Texas a couple of weeks ago and the steps that we continue to take to look out for your safety, which is paramount to us. To that end, uh, we will be hosting a gun safety class, a firearm safety class here at the church December the 9th. Uh, the laws and regulations regarding firearm safety will be talked about for church and then also uh, for non-church places as well. Uh, if you're interested in that, I need you to meet right over here, right after services. Miss Gloria uh, will give you all the information on that. Uh, I don't see Miss Gloria. Is she in, maybe she's in the nursery, but uh, uh, yep, she's in the nursery. All right, but right after church, uh, uh, if you're interested in that, my wife and I will be participating, Lord willing. So if you want to join us in that, we invite you to do so. So, uh, and uh, I want to say this to all the kids, all the kids look this direction, all the kids look this direction. Uh, before you come up, I want to talk to you real quickly now, all the young folks look up here at me. I mentioned this to your mamas and daddies last week, but I want to talk to you this morning. Your safety is our number one concern while you're here. And I don't need to, I won't go into detail because I don't want to scare you, but it's a crazy, crazy world we live in today. At no point do I'm, I'm, I, do I want any of the kids going outside without an adult accompaniment. Uh, you understand, parents, that we lock all the doors except the back one once church begins. Uh, we've got cameras at every entrance. Uh, uh, we've got a safety team that is patrolling the grounds during services. We're doing everything we can to look out for your safety. But all the kids, in order for you to walk out this door, uh, any door, you must be with an adult uh, who will make sure that they look out for your safety. And that is not because I don't love you. It's because I do love you. And I want to make sure your safety is well taken care of. All right, so let me get all the little ones down here to the front. You're going to head to Children's Church or Junior Church. You come on and make your way down this morning, and they're going to come around. If you're visiting, they're going to collect any loose change that you've got. This is our penny march, and this goes to help support several ministries here at the church. We appreciate you helping us out in this capacity. Take off, girls. 
Children's Church, Junior Church. Come on this morning. just got corrected for the 14,000th time. James and Carmen are registered at Bed Bath & Beyond, not Bath & Body Works. <laughs> All right, whatever. <laughs> gift cards are always good. Anyway, and so uh, thank you so much as always for your gifts to our, I, can, I just have this image of me walking into Bed Bath & Body Works and saying I'd like to pull up the bridal registry. Anyway, anyway. Thank you so much um, uh, for your gifts to our young folks and to our uh, uh, various ministries here at the church. Fellas, come on and make your way down. Miss Betty, you come get ready to sing for us. You be obedient unto the Lord with his tithes and your offerings. God will richly bless you for that. Uh, we're going to pray. Brother Ken, I'm going to ask you to pray this morning. Take the microphone. Uh, you take us to the throne this morning. Things you bless us with, God help us. Oh, we do thank you, Lord, for what you gave to us. God bless this offering, Lord. I saw a sign this morning, uh, not this morning, but a couple of days ago that said, Thanksgiving is not a day, it's a way of life. And I hope that you hear something in the song words that makes you think that we can make 2008 thankful. For the times you've kept me safe and sound for picking me up when I'd run aground for drying my tears when I was cast down for your tender mercies I thank you for answering prayer time and again for calming my soul when fear rushes in and keeping me steady through strong raging winds for peace like a river I thank you for peace like a river Lord, most of all, for that old rugged cross, where 
Where your son would have died for my sins For saving my soul when I was helpless and lost For redeeming and setting me free For your word and your wisdom And supplying my needs For the heavenly home I know I will see For joy on the journey And your great love for me For all of these blessings I thank you For all of these blessings face when my race is run and I walk through your gates and declare to the angels I got here by grace I'll bow at your feet and say thank you I'll bow at your feet and say thank you stand together one more time hymn number 203 this morning a favorite course we like to sing around here the windows of heaven hymn number 203 this morning we'll sing it one time through and enjoy a time of fellowship hymn number 203 
Amen. All right, when the music stops, you have to go back to your seat. It's like musical chairs. I told my wife if she didn't quit playing, they'd still be fellowshipping at 4.30 in the afternoon. And I'm going to tell you, I'm going to lunch. I'm just... <laughs> oh, me. First Chronicles this morning, please. First Chronicles, chapter number four. That's a real book in your Bible. I know seldom does anybody preach out of it. First Chronicles, chapter number four. While you're turning there, put a little smile on your face. Father, 80 years old, lives in Virginia. Calls his son out in Nebraska. Son picks up the phone and father says, Johnny, I want you to know after 55 years, I've had it with your mother. I'm moving out, getting a divorce. I understand it's the week before Thanksgiving. I know that. I just want you and your sister to be aware of this before the time spreads or before the, mu- uh, before the news spreads that I'm going to spend the last years of my life in peace. Johnny, I heard somebody say amen. (laughs) Johnny says, Dad, don't do a thing. Let me call sis. Hangs up the phone. Calls his sister down in Florida. Says, sis, Dad just said he's leaving Mom. 55 years of marriage. He's chucking the whole thing in. We got to get there to the house. Sis hangs up the phone and completes the circuit by calling Dad. Dad picks up the phone, says, hello. And this says, Daddy, Johnny just told me what you said. Don't do anything. Johnny and I will be there Wednesday and we'll fix everything. Hangs up the phone. Dad turns to Mom and says, well, we got them both here for Thanksgiving. What are we going to tell them for Christmas? <laughs> Amen. Amen. First Chronicles chapter 4, please. First Chronicles chapter number 4. Beginning in verse number 9. Verse number 9. Jabez, more honorable than his brethren. Mother called him Jabez, saying, because... I bear him with sorrow. Jabez called on the God of Israel, saying, Oh, that thou wouldest bless indeed, and enlarge my coast, that thine hand might be with me, thou wouldest keep me from evil, that it may not grieve me. Notice the last clause. God granted him that which he requested. Father, thank you for the time this morning for a few minutes to open up this passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray that you would illuminate it for us. Show us this morning what you'd have us to see. Lord, I believe I've got the outline that you've laid upon my heart, but Lord, without the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit, the outline matters little. Lord, I pray that you'd empower us to deliver the words and the message that is most in need today. Lord, as we 
gather this week with family and friends, Lord, to celebrate what we understand is a uniquely and distinctively American holiday. Help us to recognize and understand that our Christian faith should be at the top of our Thanksgiving gratitude list. Bless the preaching of your word today. Save that one that needs to be saved. Lord, draw us all closer to you today. We'll thank you and praise you. In Christ's name, amen. I will very quickly let everyone know that uh, for the upcoming, I got to have a little bit of surgery on Tuesday on my foot, so I'll be out of commission for about a week. Lord willing, be here next Sunday morning, uh, but just wanted to let you know if you you get uh, in need, certainly call, but I, my wife will be answering the phone instead of me. Not a surprise, amen. The last three weeks, we looked at a passage of Scripture that was penned by Paul and gave us some very clear steps for living out the Christian life. Some prerequisites, if you will, to understanding and in, in, in infusing into our daily walk the values that God ordains and underscores that we must adopt in order to lead that successful Christian life. I'll remind you that our responsibilities for our reasonable service include our worship, or as we understand it, sacrificing our flesh. It includes adopting the mind of God. And it includes aligning our will with God's will. What I want to talk to you about this morning follows up that three-week message on asking ourselves, if we do these things, what can we understandably expect from God? I'm convinced that we live far too much of our life content to, to walk on the ground like turkeys when God meant for us to soar like eagles. Normally, on the Sunday before Thanksgiving, I will try to come up with, with the help and inspiration of the Holy Spirit, a Thanksgiving message, but try as hard as I did this week, I, I ended up teaching a Thanksgiving message in Sunday school because I want to give you a message this morning that I'm entitling, Expecting God's Best. Expecting God's Best. I want to start by reminding all of us that a prosperity gospel is nowhere taught in Scripture. What do I mean by that? For those of you who may not understand that terminology of prosperity preaching, it is this ideology that as long as you are faithful enough, as long as you do enough good, that God will just reap out buckets of blessings upon you. You'll never have problems. It's that name it and claim it ideology, and I think everybody in the building understands that that is not what Scripture teaches. Christ himself said he didn't have a place to lay his head at night. Uh, and if he didn't have a place to lay his head at night, uh, we should understandably expect to go through difficult valleys, dark days, and storm clouds. Uh, but the joy of the Christian life uh, is not that we won't go through dark valleys. It's the promise that we won't go through them alone. Amen. Having said that, listen carefully to this next statement. There is extrinsic and intrinsic value in walking the Christian walk. Let me give it to you another way. God blesses people 
who live right. God blesses holy living. We spent three weeks out of Romans 12, verses 1 and 2, talking about the how-tos of this holy living. What is it that we're expected to do? How is it we're expected to live? How is it we're expected to think? How is it we're expected to conduct ourselves? And I want you to understand that while that is our reasonable service, it is reasonable for God to expect that of his children. He blesses those who walk in obedience to him. I'll ask you this morning, you don't have to say amen. You don't have to raise your hand. But how many of us want God's best for our lives? Most of us. I don't think there's anybody in the building that would sit back and say, I don't want God's best. I'll settle for fourth or fifth. Not me. I want God to bless my church with everything he's got. I want God to bless my family with everything he's got. I want God to bless my life with everything he's got. And I understand that unless I'm doing those three things that we discussed in Romans 12, that's not a possibility. But if I am doing those three things, what do I get from God's best? That is the message this morning. Wanting God's best. 2000, a book came out called The Prayer of Jabez. It was a little mini book. It wasn't very long, and it sort of swept the Christian circles by storm. Every 10 years or so, this is a little theory of mine, every 10 years or so, there is a new book that seems to come out that kind of gives a new spin on an old message or a new direction on an old thought and kind of sweeps Christian circles by storm but, but I, I, at the risk of, uh, of being negative, and that's not me, I, 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 while I enjoy reading those books and I get a lot out of them, I always find that if I go back to the original source, I get a whole lot more out of it. You see, when you read that little book, The Prayer of Jabez, and it's a wonderfully well-written book, an enjoyable read, doesn't take long, but it seems to give the idea that if you'll say these words that are written in verse number 10, that incredible things will happen. The danger of that is that it almost treats it like a magic formula, like a little potion that if you mix it up like this and stand back, then poof, nothing but joy will come your way. I don't need to tell you again, but I will. That's just not reality. But I will tell you this again. God blesses obedience. God blesses obedience. So I believe that the message behind the prayer of Jabez that is prayed in verse number 10 is not some special incantation that allows for great things to happen, but it is the reality that we understand that when we do what we're supposed to do, God will pour out handfuls of purpose to bless our lives. That's what we're going to look at this morning. On this Sunday morning before Thanksgiving, what is it that we can understandably, rightfully, and correctly expect for God to do in our lives if we follow his blueprint? Three things we'll look at. Simple thoughts this morning. Number one, who was Jabez? 
Who was he? I will tell you that these verses are all we have about this fellow Jabez. He pops up and he disappears. But please understand this, folks. Though the statements about him are minimal, he accomplishes a great deal with his life. Though the words that describe him are absolutely small in number, what he accomplishes is massive. If you will look with me at the beginning of this chapter, chapter number 4, you read the first several verses all the way down through verse number 7, verse number 1 through verse number 7 of chapter 4. You get a whole lot of begats and begots and begoods. I want to ask you a question this morning just so I'll feel better. How many of you are like me? That at times when you get to the begats and the begots and the father of and the son of, you skim it, skip it, and go to the next chapter. The rest of you who are not raising your hands, you're a bunch of liars. Amen. Because most of us look at those words and we think, I can't pronounce them. I don't know those people. Let me get to the heart of the matter. But when you do that in this particular chapter, you will miss something significant. Because in reality, when you look at chapter 4 and you read the first seven verses, what you actually have is the genealogy of Judah, the tribe that bears his name. You get the son of, the brothers of, the family of, the children of, generation after generation after generation. A process that is very, very important in Judaism. In fact, in the Old Testament, in the Jewish Bible, if you will, or the Jewish canon of scriptures, I should say, the book of Chronicles is not divided into two books. It is one book uh, that literally chronicles the genealogies uh, starting all the way back uh, and going up into the reign of David. It is a book that literally chronicles the family histories, if you will, the genealogies uh, of Israel. Sometimes in our large family Bibles, we'll do the same thing. Grandma and grandpa get married, and they've got these kids, and they've got these grandchildren and nieces and nephews. And sometimes, especially in yesteryear, in the old family Bible, you would see a family tree that went on for generation after generation. That's what's happening here. The Jews are chronicling a, a genealogy that is very, very important to them. But suddenly in verse number 9, something happened. There is a divine pause, if you will. And suddenly the writer uh, stops doing the chronicling of the genealogy and says, we need to talk about this fella for one second. I told you who his daddy was and his grandpa and his great-grandpa and his great-great-grandpa and all the way back and all these genealogies and all these lineages and all these ancestries. But we got to pause just a minute because I got to tell you something about Jabez because Jabez was different than everybody else. You see, I don't want to be unkind. But when you go back and you look at almost all of the lineage that's mentioned in verses 1 through 8, we know nothing about them. All we have is their name. We don't know what they did. We don't know what they accomplished. We don't know what they happened in their life. But something about Jabez made him stand out, uh, and his life was different. 
I want to pause just a moment and say to everybody in the building tonight or this morning that very seldom are there Jabez's that live amongst us. Very often, we are content to blend in with everybody else. Very often, we're content to be one of the crowd. And I want to remind you folks that the Bible tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. He did not make us to blend in with the crowd. He meant us to rise above and soar like eagles. Far too many believers today walk around with the fowl of the field instead of soaring like the eagles that God made us to be. Jabez's life stood out. He did something, as you're going to see, where his children and his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren stepped back and said his life made a difference. Boy, I don't know about you, but far greater than any money you might leave behind, far greater than any house uh, that you might leave behind, or far greater than any financial uh, or physical legacy you might leave behind, uh, I sure want my children and my grandchildren and all the lineage all the way down to look back at my life uh, and say, Daddy's life mattered in somebody's eyes. Who was he this morning? Well, you notice, number one, place. He was certainly one of many. Certainly one of many, but boy, did he ever stand out. Not only do I want you to see his place, but I want you to see his problem. His problem. What do you mean, preacher? Always in the Bible, names matter, especially the Old Testament. Always in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, The names mean something. Can I tell you what Jabez means? Buckle up. It'll blow your mind. It means pain, affliction, the son of my sorrow, he who causes agony. I don't know what this mama went through to bring him into the world. But whatever it was, she looked at this bouncing baby boy and said, that's the biggest pain I've ever gone through in my life. We're going to call him that. It would be like today, a mama bringing out a new baby boy and saying, ooh, ain't he precious, let's call him heart attack. Or looking at a new baby girl and saying, that's the most beautiful bundle I've ever seen in my life, let's call her hemorrhoid. <laughs> Honestly. When they named him, look up here, some of y'all looking at each other now. Come up here, look at me. Circle back with me. When they named him Jabez, it meant that every, I mean, when this joker introduced himself in school, you know everybody had to chuckle. When he stood up and said, my name is pain in the you-know-what, everybody had to laugh. He came with all kinds of baggage in his life. Problems in his life. I mean, starting with an absurd name that meant such out of my agony. Why am I telling you this, folks? Because in reality, there's an awful lot of people in here, when you reflect back over your past, you got a lot of baggage as well. Things that you've been through. Lineages and ancestries and way on back, back in the line where you just assume that nobody knows about. Years ago, I met a fellow, I'll share his name with you in just a moment, 
But he made a statement that I don't ever want to forget. He looked at me and he said, Dr. Hodges, don't ever let the pain and poverty of your past rob you of the power of your present or the potential of your future. I know that's a mouthful, so I'm going to say it again. He said, don't ever let the pain and the poverty of your past rob you of the power of your present or the potential of your future. Two people I want to talk to you about this morning. One that I know, one I've never met. The first one that I want to talk about that I think underscores this incredible story of Jabez is a Olympic athlete that you senior saints probably will remember. She won three gold medals in the 1960 Olympics uh, that took place in Rome, Italy. A, a track and field star by the name of Wilma Rudolph. Wilma Rudolph was born 16th of 18 children to abject poverty. Not only was she the 16th of 18, you also need to understand that she was born in a Middle Tennessee poverty-stricken community and weighed less than four pounds when she was born. At the age of four, she contracted polio and lost the use of her left leg. Battle with polio left her weak, nearly dead. Consequently, Wilma developed chronic pneumonia and scarlet fever. She was literally days away from death. Even though she managed to survive those deadly diseases, she spent the bulk of her childhood as a cripple. Many of you will recall, senior saints, when the diagnosis of polio was a sentence of lifelong crippling humanity. But it was through years of therapy, which her mother carried her to on her day off each week, and determination that Wilma Rudolph gained the use of her left leg. And it was during that time that, by her own autobiography, Wilma became a child of God. She shares that she went on to play high school basketball. This is part of her biography that I didn't know. I knew Wilma Rudolph as the track and field star. But she actually went on to play high school basketball and said a single, those of you who are into sports, this will blow your mind. She said a single season record for the most points scored by any male or female in high school basketball in the state of Tennessee, 803 points in 25 games. That's an average of 33 points per game. Staggering statistics. 1960. Wilma Rudolph was selected on the Olympic team for America, not as a basketball player. There was no female basketball team at the Olympics, but rather as a female track and field runner. Both the 100-meter dash and the 200-meter dash, which are usually measured in increments of seconds, Go back and look at virtually all of the 100-meter dashes in Olympic history, and most of them are photo finishes where you have to look at this one won by two-tenths of a second or this one won by three-hundredths of a second. In both the 100-meter dash and the 200-meter dash, she finished three yards ahead of her closest competitor. 
instead of being measured in tenths of a second, she won it by nearly 10 feet. Astounding statistics. Broke the world record, both the 100-meter dash and the 200-meter dash. And on the 400-meter relay, she brought the team from behind when everyone said the Americans had no choice and no hope. Wilma Rudolph took the baton as the anchor of the team and brought the gold home for the United States of America. When asked about her incredible victory, when asked how she, as the 16th of 18 children, when asked how she could overcome poverty, when asked how she could overcome polio and scarlet fever, when asked how she could start where she was and end up where she became, she answered that when she became a child of God, God instilled in her that she needed to rise and soar like eagles. And she said that you don't often hear quoted uh, a simple reality uh, that God put in me the understanding uh, that he gave me a talent uh, and I'm to use it uh, for my benefit but his glory. What a testimony. I'll give you one other person who I got to meet, spend a little bit of time with. 2008. Patrick Henry Community College brought to our campus an individual that I did not know the history on, but subsequently learned much about prior to his arrival, a CBS correspondent named Byron Pitts, a gentleman who until 2013 was the chief national correspondent for uh, CBS News. He has since transitioned over to ABC News. What I did not know was that Byron Pitts uh, is not only a believer in Jesus Christ, but an independent fundamental Baptist. So Byron Pitts, in sitting and talking with our entire campus, and then subsequently with a handful of us later, reminded all of us, and if you'd like to read a good biography about his faith, it's a book titled Step Out on Nothing, where he talks about uh, being born in inner city Baltimore. And his mother looked at him and realized that he had two choices. Either he would be raised by gangs or he'd be raised in church. Those were the only options. To complicate matters, Byron had a horrible stuttering problem and was completely illiterate all the way until he got to high school. Entered ninth grade unable to read or write. A counselor there convinced him that he needed to go to college. But in his mind, he wasn't college material. Still stuttering. Still struggling with basic social skills. But this counselor convinced him to go to Ohio Wesleyan University. And incredibly, he got accepted. And he will tell you that he got accepted because of the color of his skin, not because of the aptitude of he displayed. His words, not mine. So he goes to Ohio Wesleyan University, and in the first semester of an English class, he gets a giant F on the paper with a note from the professor that says, Byron, please see me. So he schedules an appointment with the professor, walks in, and the professor looks at him and says, Mr. Pitts, please sit down. Sat down, looked at him and said, yes, sir, anticipating going to get some help on his paper. 
professor looked at him and said, Mr. Pitts, I'm going to do you and this school a favor. You don't belong here. You're not college material. You're wasting your time, and you're wasting my time. Byron says that he got up, dejected, walks into the admissions office, sits in the chair awaiting his turn, tears streaming down. A woman, the unbeliever will say this is a coincidence, but as I said to you last week, the believer says, what an awesome God. A woman walks by, African-American lady, that he describes as having a beehive hairdo uh, that would set the woods on fire. So high, in fact, he says she had to duck to get through the door. Looks over at him and says, never met him before, that says, son, what are you crying about? Why are you so upset? He begins to tell her for some reason what happened. He hands her his card to withdraw from school. Takes the card. She rips it up. She says, you're coming to my office. Every day, next three and a half years, she tutored Byron, got him through school. But then she did the unimaginable. She looked at her husband and said, I'm working with this young man. He needs not only some academic help, but he needs some spiritual help. So they started taking him to church. Byron accepted the Lord Jesus Christ at that little black Baptist church. Fast forward 12 years, the seven-time Emmy Award-winning journalist is asked back to Ohio Wesleyan University to give the commencement address. Stands up, not naming names. But he said, there are some of you here that tried to tell me I wasn't college material. I give my success credit to two people. He names the name of that lady that tutored him every day. And then he does the unimaginable. He says, uh, the second person that I'd like to give all the credit uh, is my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Sitting in that little black church off the campus of Ohio Wesleyan University, he says that he understood when the preacher says that God did not make you junk, that he did not make you trash, that he made you to rise above your circumstances and do the incredible. He says that is when the Spirit of God spoke to me and said, I can be somebody. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up wings like you. So, Byron Pitts became an Emmy Award winning journalist. And I'll never forget what he told me personally next when he found out somebody told him, We got a Baptist preacher in our, in our, here on our campus. He pulled me to the side, began to talk about the difficulty of being a Christian in the news media and the difficulty of being a Christian in higher education. And I said, Mr. Pitts, I didn't dare call him Byron. I said, Mr. Pitts, uh, to what do you accredit your success today? To what do you accredit the fact that not only were you successful, but you won seven Emmys, uh, that you've got all these accolades. uh, You were named the Journalist of the Year. You're the Chief National Correspondent for America for uh, uh, CBS News. What do you accredit to this ongoing success? And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at me and he said, Mahalia. I said, 
who? He said, Mahalia. And I said, Mr. Pitts, I'm sorry, I don't know who she is. And God is my witness. He pulled out a cassette tape that was the best of Mahalia Jackson. And I said to him, Mr. Pitts, how did Mahalia change your life? Began to describe in detail how sitting in Afghanistan with bullets going back and forth, not knowing if he as a journalist was going to get out, much less the soldiers that he was covering, he put in his Walkman. I know that's, a, that's from the Jurassic period for some of you teenagers. But he would pull out his Walkman, put in his earbuds, and listen to Amelia Jackson singing Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound. Saved Hedgelock. I want everybody to listen. I have four points to this message, and I've basically gotten through the introduction. <laughs> Won't you listen to me carefully this morning? When you walk with God, when you sacrifice your flesh, when you adopt the mind of God, and you adopt the will of God for your life, stand back and watch God answer prayers that you never thought would happen. Stand back and watch him do the unimaginable. To, to, to uh, Ruth, Boaz says, don't just let her glean on the side of the fields. Drop handfuls of purpose that she can reach up and grab. Take back to the Who was? Amen. Had all kinds of problems. Had all kinds of challenges. Let me give you the last thought this morning and we'll close. Because when you understand who he was and you see uh, the reality of his life as described in verses 9 and 10, you'll notice also what it says in verse number 9. He was more honorable than his brethren. He was more honorable than his brethren. Not everybody else. Not the outside society. Not the people at school, but more honorable than his brethren. Saying, Pastor, please get this morning. Oftentimes, when we have to stand out above the crowd, oftentimes, when we are commanded to be different, listen, so important, I promise I'm done. Oftentimes when we hear, you can't go along with the crowd, oftentimes the crowd is our own family. Oftentimes the crowd is our own family. Jabez was known as a man of prayer. Why? Not because he was different from the outside. Not because he was different from everybody out there. Because he stood out. From amongst brethren. Comes to soar like eagles. Have to get away from those eagles who have no desire. I see a lot of people nodding your heads. You understand that oftentimes the greatest ones that try to pull us back, not the outside enemy, but our own. Be carefully. You can love your family. I love mine. You can enjoy your family. I enjoy mine. Carefully, ever let them, you from being everything God wants you to be. 
while you're enjoying all the blessings of God and they look at you and say, how did you get this and how did you accomplish that? You can stand back and say, it's all God. Nobody's looking. But Ken, come get us a song. Was Jabez? What was this prayer all about? Reality is Jabez stood out. He was different. Not just different from the world, but different from his own family. We'll see next week what Jabez asked for. Jabez received because of that. Everybody's looking. Two quick questions. Number one. Number one, simple thought. Nobody's looking. Pastor Greg, I want to be like that. I want God to do the unusual in my life, understanding I'm willing to do what I need to do in order to get God's best. Pray for me. I see a lot of hands going up. I appreciate your honesty. Second question, we're going to be fastest. Is there anybody here that would be honest and say, Pastor, I'm not even a Christian. I'm not sure I'd go to heaven, but I do know I don't want to go to hell. Pray for me. Anyone like that? Preacher, pray for me. I need to be saved. Father, bless this invitation. Bless Brother Ken as he sings. Pour your presence out upon us in Christ's name. Brother Ken sings this morning. Everybody that raised your hand, would you step out? Join me at this altar asking God for the very best that he has for your life today. Would you come this morning? Another one, brothers. Sing us another one, brother. Can we sing this last verse when we've been there 10,000 years? Look this way. Sing it now. Because it's Thanksgiving Thursday, let's do this together. We'll go home. Praise God. Praise God.
been good. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for the blessings of the day. For meeting with us this morning. Lord, as we go our separate ways and celebrate this week with our family, our friends, Lord, help us to recall the simple reality that every good gift comes from you. Lord, I pause just a moment and ask your touch upon Sister Brenda Craig today. Pray that you'd bless her. Lord, that you'd restore her. I pray for Sister King as she goes through her surgery this week for knee replacement. Lord, that you would bless her. Be no problems, there'd be no complications. Lord, that sure her health would be fully restored. Those in our congregation, Sister Helen King's brother Daryl Hyatt, that lost loved ones this week, I pray that you'd comfort them. Lord, for those families, there'll be an empty seat at the holiday table this week. Lord, we also recognize that there is soon coming a day we'll never have to say goodbye again. Lord, thank you for our salvation. Thank you for this church and the people in it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Don't forget, those of you interested in the class, uh, the gun safety meet right over here uh, with Miss Gloria. 2.30 for practice today. You're dismissed this morning.